Testing. Testing. One, two. I can vocalize pretty loudly, so we got to get it right. Thank you so much, Chris, for that sharing. Uh, appreciate that return to simplicity, uh, even as it's uncomfortable. Thank you so much for that. Um, hey, real quick before I get started, I want to plug my small group, uh, Privilege of the Preacher. Um, so please consider a small group. They're really, really great selections this time. Mine is, uh, we're going to read a book together by Pete Enns, um, one of my favorite modern writers around the Bible and spiritual things. If you like some of the content of the teaching today, I'm borrowing a lot from his ideas, and so you might resonate more taking a little deeper dive. So that's your invitation. Sign up for this small group or any small group this semester. All right, thanks. Um, we're going to do a quick opinion poll. And um, for this, I'm going to invite you to use your, your legs and stand up if you agree with these opinions, okay? And we're going to separate into groups the people who are standing from those who remain sitting. Get ready. Okay, the first one, fall is the best season. Let's try it. If you agree with this, oh, hey, hello. Yes, please stand if you agree. That's, that's about half, yeah? Okay, all right. Oh, okay, you're halfway. Okay, we've got a fall and something else. Okay, uh, you may be seated. Hey, if you're online, you can stand too. <laughs> You're already standing. You're like doing the dishes. You're like playing with kids. I get it. All right. Uh, number two, watching Iowa football is fun. Stand if you agree. <laughs> I don't, those sitting are like, I don't like football or Iowa specifically is not fun. I don't know. Okay, you may be seated. All right, folks. Um, we're going to get a little more difficult now. Okay. America is in a better place than it was 20 years ago. Any takers? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, do you hear the debate and the dissent in the room? This is awesome. I love polarizing people. This is great fun. All right. Number four, last one. Iowa is a great place to live. Iowa is a great place to live. Okay. <laughs> Look in scorn at those who remain seated. <laughs> you may be seated. All right. Um, I wonder if I change that to Iowa City, if there would be a different response. Yeah? Okay. Um, all right, I just led us through a short exercise in sorting, right? And we sort ourselves into groups all the time. This is a very, very normal thing humans do throughout our lives based on our opinions and what we value and other things as well. Um, it's a very natural process. Uh, we do it all the time because we are often trying to work out who is on our team, who agrees with me. Who's in my in group and who's not? Who are the them? Who's against me? Now, obviously, in the opinions we just did, the stakes aren't that high, you know, um, although we could have some debate about the America one in particular. Um, but we can escalate this when we identify issues that are quickly polarizing, right? The big ones like gun rights, 
climate change legislation, immigration, and religion. And the question we're often asking is, who's the us? Who are we? What do we value? What do we think? Now, when it comes to religion, something else happens to this. It's this. This isn't always true, but often it changes from a set of opinions or preferences to a set of doctrines, beliefs, and practices that we think are correct. We are right. We do it the right way here. We believe the right doctrines, the right theology, and they, whoever they are, have the wrong ones. Now, by the way, I floated this idea out to Tom and Aidy uh, this week for um, some input, and Tom very helpfully pointed out to me that part of what's underneath this dynamic is this sense of threat. The stakes in religion, especially Christianity in America, is often, it's accompanied by a sense of threat, pretty often. And so the stakes feel super high. We better get it right. We've got to be right on this. But there's a problem. It's a trap. The reason it's a trap is because we can never know if we're right. (laughs) We never know if it's right. Religious beliefs, by definition, are faith. They cannot be verified or confirmed or proved right. If they could be verified or proved right, it wouldn't be faith. It would be knowledge. So there are all kinds of things in life that we verify or prove, and that's what we call knowledge. That's the discipline of science that is ever-evolving as we learn new things. But in religion, we can't verify what is ultimately correct or right. Now, despite this vexing problem of uh, not being able to verify religious beliefs, you can find, of course, Christian leaders, theologians, from many different Christian traditions, all insisting that they are correct. And they'll argue with each other, and this is great fun online, okay? And you watch people who are very staunch supporters of their particular religious approach, and usually men, <laughs> it must be said, arguing with each other online and the message boards. It's just, it can get toxic too, really quick. Now, am I above this? <laughs> no. But I do aspire to a little different approach and alternative. And there is one. And thankfully, Jesus offers us a wholly different approach, an alternative way. He models this approach, and what's funny is Jesus ends up being right about not needing to prove he's right, if you can untie that one. But we'll go to a scripture now from Jesus where he offers this alternative approach, resisting the need to be right and replacing it with something else. And here it is. So this is from Matthew chapter 7. It's in, uh, it's in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is a long teaching from Jesus, which he gives as a sermon on a mount, thus the name. Sometimes our names work. Here it is, Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says. 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. All right, it's not hard to find the main image in the passage. It is fruit. Uh, Jesus uses the word seven times in these six verses. And so Jesus is quite simply saying, look at the fruit. Look at the results. Look at what is produced in the world. And that's how you evaluate whether something is good or bad. It's based on the fruit. And um, this is this is great. I, I feel like this is a very common sense approach that we Midwesterners can all get behind. This is Midwestern Jesus here, folks. We can amen this all the way home. Um, you know, Jesus is at the potluck, and there's a plate of sweet corn, and uh, it's delicious. And there's two guys who start arguing about the best way to grow sweet corn. And they turn to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, who do you agree with? And he's like, I don't know, but this is delicious. Enjoy the fruit. Look at the fruit. Look at what is produced. And it could be that there are multiple ways to arrive at good fruit. Now, here's what's brilliant. It gets at or it gets around that temptation of insisting we're right, you know, because it may be we're right, it may be we're wrong, but Jesus is saying, look at the fruit. Examine the practical results of what is happening, of what you believe, of what you're producing in the world. Now, Jesus starts his section with a really particular example, and let's take a look at this for one second. Um, he talks about prophets, false prophets, who he says are ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. And just a quick reminder here that in the Bible, when they use the word prophets or prophecy, it's not talking so much about prediction. And I know we can kind of think about that. That's a common conception, that prophets are predicting the future. And they do that sometimes, okay? But that's not the main function of the prophets or prophecy throughout the Bible. Rather, it's that bottom one. Prophets are representing God in the Bible. They are speaking and acting on behalf of God, all right? That's what a prophet is called to do. Occasionally, they're making predictions, but the main thing is representing God. So when Jesus says, watch out for false prophets— He's not saying, look out for people making bad predictions, although look out for that too. He is saying, look out for these folks, the folks who are misrepresenting God, the people who are speaking on behalf of God, but they're causing harm, the people who are advancing injustice or unjust policies, people who are promoting shame in the name of God when God is a liberator who is coming to liberate us from the shame we have internalized and inherited. The simple point here, Jesus says, uh, false prophets produce bad fruit. So look out for them. Here is how Jesus would have us evaluate religious beliefs and prophets. He would ask us, 
Is it producing healing? Is it producing justice and liberation? Or is it leading into harm or injustice or shame? Do our churches beliefs and practices promote healing and justice and liberation? Or do our, our church's beliefs and practices promote harm or injustice or shame? That's the question Jesus would have us focus on over and over and over again, that we're making that kind of evaluation. That's the focus. So again, we're tempted to go here and evaluate our beliefs and practice by whether or not we're right. And Jesus is like, you can have that conversation. I, don't, I mean, and sometimes I think there are valuable things about talking about if something's true or not true, something's correct or not correct. That's a valuable enterprise. But it's not the main focus from Jesus. He's saying, look at the fruit. That's the point. All right, let's take a moment to examine a very practical example of this in church practices today, Okay. So here is our, uh, our, our new opinion poll. I'm not going to ask you to stand. <laughs> All right. Women should not preach. Now, there are 2.5 billion humans alive today who identify as Christian. 2.5 billion or some Christian tradition. And most of them agree with this. So if we were in a room with the 2.5 billion people, it's a big room, most of them would stand up in that opinion poll and say, yes, I agree. Or at least they belong to a tradition who teaches or that teaches this as a doctrine. And they would say that, the Bible, theologically, whatever, they have all kinds of arguments that support this view that women can only do certain things in the church and they cannot preach. Now, this comes from a long history within church or within Christianity, excuse me. Um, and again, there are all kinds of arguments, arguments from biology, arguments from theology, arguments from the Bible, and they are labeled as the correct views. People who hold this view say it is correct. It's just the right view. But what if we take this and we examine it from the evaluation that Jesus offers us from the fruit? When we look at Christian history over the centuries, and they've promoted, we, I should say, we have promoted this view and other related views related to women. It has produced bad fruit. It has caused harm. It has promoted injustice and perpetuated shame. On the other hand, the traditions that have begun to welcome the advancement and the liberation of women have seen some really good fruit. When women have an equal voice and influence, it's better. <laughs> the results are better. The fruit tastes better. 
there's a better chance for emotional and relational health. There's a deeper revelation of who God is, an experience of God in the church. The experience for women and girls is almost certainly better. The fruit of liberated voices is good fruit for them, those that are liberated, and for everyone in the church. So do you see what happens when we make the switch? When we switch to Jesus's evaluation, it starts to feel good. Like we can just say, oh, you know, gosh, we don't know if it's quote unquote right. I mean, we think it is and here's why. And we have rationale and reasons for that. But I'll tell you what, it's producing really good stuff. Let me tell you about that. Let me share stories of where I've seen God at work in this. We can apply this analysis, of course, to all kinds of church beliefs and practices. We look at anti-gay theology in the church historically, and we can see that the fruit of anti-gay theology is harm and injustice and shame. It's bad fruit. It's bad fruit. Look at the fruit, Jesus says. That's how we make our evaluation on church beliefs and practices. So here at Sanctuary, um, you know, we're striving to do this, right? We are striving to look at the fruit always, to lean into healing, to lean into justice, to lean into liberation in Jesus. And we hope we are making good progress, right? Have we arrived? Almost certainly not. I mean, I can tell you, even personally, I look back just five, ten years ago, and I can see where I miss things. I can see where I held on to beliefs or practices that I thought were right, and I had compelling reasons for that, but they weren't producing good fruit. And so it's very likely, it seems to me, that in five or ten years from now, I'm going to look back on today and go, I missed it. I missed it. It's with that kind of humility we are invited to follow Jesus. Not the arrogant insistence that we're right. It's the humble possibility that we are growing into God that we are growing into justice and liberation. I mean, what is liberation? Does anybody know? Has anyone arrived? I doubt it. We are growing into it. We are growing into the good fruit as we sit and sit and remain in Jesus and follow all of Jesus' ways for us. Economic justice, racial justice, climate action to care for the earth and the natural world. Folks, we got stuff to learn and grow in. And the examination of our beliefs and practices in church, outside church, of course, we've got to pay attention. What are our beliefs and actions producing in the world? That's the metric. That's it. You will know them by their fruits, Jesus says. Amen. Amen. 
I want to close with a short um, meditation prayer exercise, as we often do at Sanctuary. Uh, you will be glad to know I won't have a sort <laughs> for this exercise. Um, there is one category of us here today. It is human beings. Hallelujah. We are human beings in need of one another, in need of God. And that is the posture we will bring to this prayer meditation. So here it is. Um, we're just going to sit with this invitation from Jesus. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. So I invite you, however is comfortable for you, um, if, if closing your eyes helps you get in a more prayerful, meditative state, you can. You don't have to. Whatever is uh, helpful for you. Jesus, we hear your words to us this morning. You will know them by their fruits. And we hear your simple invitation, those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. So God, we would like to take a moment to simply sit in your presence to remain in you. For this type of exercise, sometimes it can help if you picture Jesus beside you uh, and you're having a sense of connection or relationship with Jesus. Um, others of you might really benefit by picturing light. And you're in the presence of light, and that is God. Uh, others of you, you might really appreciate a garden metaphor bearing fruit. So if you'd like, picture yourself in a garden. What's the fruit around you? What are the fruits that God is inviting you to produce in the world? Jesus, give us your courage to pursue fruitfulness in all the ways you call us to. Give us humility to recognize the ways we are missing it. To turn away from those and embrace what we can do to bear good fruit in the world. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this time, we'll now transition to a time of worship and communion. Uh, so we invite the worship team to come forward.